0: Thanks for tuning in. You are listening to Crash the UK Geek Podcast. This is a Doctor Who specific episode recorded on Wednesday the 6th of November 2019 at 42 19. Again, apologies for being a little late with this recording. I came down with something that would have made it very difficult to podcast. I had either a strep throat or staff throat or something, some kind of throat infection or nasal infection, I don't know, something like that, and it made me have a sore throat. But I'm back now, and as promised, here's a continuation of our vintage Doctor Who rewatch a few days late. I have to tell you, even with the short gap in podcasting, getting back into doing the show again seems more difficult than it usually is i'm not sure why that is but i felt particularly nervous doing the show today but i have turned off the central heating i have paused my laundry so the sound should be at least passable and let's do the show okay today i will be talking about the 1973 Doctor Who serial called Carnival of Monsters. As usual, let's start off with some cast and production notes. As we have been doing for some time, we are still following The Third Doctor, played by John Pertwee, his lovely companion, Joe Grant, played by Katie Manning. The director this time round was Barry Letts. The writer, Robert Holmes, and more on him later. The producer was also Barry Letts. And this is the second serial slash story of season 10, and consisted of four 25-minute episodes, first broadcast from the 27th of January to the 17th of February 1973. And let's start off with a clip. And by the way, the clips are now going to be a little shorter. Mostly, that's because people get a bit annoyed if they have to listen to a long clip, but it's mostly because it's less editing for me. So enjoy the minute or so of clip, and then I'll tell you, in my own words, what happens. Well, the cargo shuttle has arrived. At last. One must prepare oneself to encounter the aliens. Oh, dear. Oh. Top of the bill, he says. Oh. Receive like princes, he says. Now, now, Shona. Don't be so... The scope! Come on! Look, I tell you, there's no need for a test, Joe. I've been here before and the air is perfectly... Poor, oh, it smells! Some madrassi, Andrews? I believe so, sir. Mm, I find the is a bit idle, myself. Won't help them on the plantation. (ן) What's going on? Some kind of monster? (même) (command) What the deuce is it? You tell me which pod you think the seed is under. The second time. Another little wager? Five credit bars. Uh, No, ten. Whatever you say, Platrak. <laughs> Thank you. You know, I'm gonna like it here. You remind me of the Wallarians. you know. They're great sportsmen too. <laughs> there I don't we are. think we need worry too much about our friend oh, oh, one, right? they yeah. probably wind what up president. president. One watches. Very, very slowly like that. Now, keep watching. Now, you tell me which part do you think the seed is under. I'm um. giving you... Okay, I hope you enjoyed that slightly shorter clip than usual. Although, now that I think about it, I haven't been doing clips for all that long. I don't think I've been doing them for the entirety of talking about Doctor Who. Although, I could be wrong. Oh, the show has been going on for so long. Where were we? Okay, what happens? The TARDIS lands on a ship. And it seems to be in the period of around the 1920s, 1930s. The Doctor and Joe are almost immediately seized upon as stowaways. And from what we can make out from what happens on the ship, the crew and the passengers seem to be caught in a kind of time loop. There are also sea monsters... The pair eventually escape through a mysterious hatch and then find their way into the inside of a machine. The Doctor realizes that the machine is, in fact, banned Time Lord technology. It is a device called a miniscope. And it is used for shrinking living creatures as well as their environment and other bits and pieces. I should point out while I'm doing this little recap of what happens, I've had to change the order in which things happen to make it more clear so that there's more clarity. Because we see things happening in two places. Some of those things are happening at the same time. In the story, as you heard from the clip, we join Vorg and Scherner first. But in this recap, because that happens around the same time, for clarity, I'm starting with a bit with the TARDIS and then moving on to Vorg and Scherner. Q, Vorg and Scherner. the owners of the Miniscope. They arrive on a planet called Interminer. Bringing the machine, the miniscope, as part of their traveling act, they're hoping to amuse the inhabitants of Interminor, who I am going to be calling Interminorans, although I don't think they call that during the course of this story. As you heard from the clip, they arrive in a very amusing manner inside the cargo hold. So, in a sense, you could say that Vorg and Scherner, as well as the Doctor and Joe, are all stowaways. The colourful pair soon fall foul of the planetary intrigues of the isolationist, bureaucratic, elitist, slightly xenophobic interminorans. A pair of these interminorans. Who are fed up with the status quo and want a bit of a regime change. They want their society to become more militant, expansionist, aggressive. So they decide to harness the power of the Miniscope to release the monsters trapped within. Because, as well as the Doctor and Joe and the other humans, there are also those monsters. And those sea dragon-like monsters are called the Drashigs. They are hoping that if they release the monsters, release the Kraken. They don't actually say that, but they might as well. They hope that this will cause panic and chaos on Interminer. And that will lead to the downfall of the current president, who they think is weak. And that will leave a power vacuum that they can fill. Fortunately, the showman Vorg is an ex-soldier. So when the monsters are released, he uses an eradicator that looks like a giant machine gun thingy that shoots laser beam type beams to kill the monsters. He then reverses the effects of the miniscope which releases its occupants and returns them to their normal time and space and frees them from the loop. This action also releases the Doctor and Joe from the miniscope, and they now arrive on Interminer. The last episode, episode 4, ends with Vorg starting to (laughs) pull his... Show back together and making money by using his huckster carny skills and suckering an important interminoran into playing the shell game, while Joe and the doctor look on amused and then leave. What did I think? Okay, we have an oppressive social strata. That can be seen both on the ship with the white colonials, and you heard that in the clip as well, not very nice colonials, on their way to India. And the white captain and bosun running a native crew, as well as on Interminer where the elite species uses the other species for subservient slave labour. So, as is usual for Doctor Who, there's a very political, I was going to say, undercurrent, although it's not really an undercurrent, it is a current, which makes the show somewhat unique for a children's programme. I think that's a good thing, but I can't help thinking how many times I have pointed this very same thing out over and over again, and I'm sure by now the listeners are getting... A little bored by my repetition but you have to understand that is exactly what happens when you are nearing 300 episodes of a solo podcast and by the way if you're listening to this thinking of starting your own podcast for the love of the universe do not do a solo podcast it is so so hard The point is that I am sorry and I will try harder to bring something new to these media revisits. Other than my usual three things that I do, which is laugh a lot. Can't be that bad. I mean, I do find some of Doctor Who very, very funny in a good way. And then I, as a fan of the show, always say that it's good. And as you heard just before... I will almost always comment that it is political. I will endeavour to say other things as well. (laughs) There you are. There's a laughter starting. What else? Oh yeah, the showman, Vorg. There is a scene where he reminisces about his own national service when he finds a vital component of the Eradicator And that strongly reminded me of my own father explaining how to load and shoot his British Empire-era Lee-Enfield bolt-action rifle as well as other weapons during his military service. And I know I've mentioned this anecdote before, but it is funny, I think, because my father also recounted learning to play bugle calls in the army. And from what I remember of those stories, and also I remember we bought a bugle once and Dad tried to play it really badly, I would also class instruction on that musical instrument, the bugle, as weapons training. (laughs) I think the same could be said for a lot of people practicing their musical instruments including me but there is something about brass instruments that makes the sound of someone playing them particularly obnoxious shortly followed by woodwind instruments time for an ad break did you know i have written a book yes you did know if you're a regular listener, because I bang on about it every week. The book that I wrote is a thriller, and it is very exciting, so read it. This is a terrible advert. You can find my novel called The Horus Box on Amazon now. Oh boy, I did this all in the wrong order. So now that I've told you all that, maybe I should actually tell you what the book is about before we do get back to the show. It's about... A bike courier with a very active lifestyle, as you can imagine, who gets involved in a terrible road accident. And then he inherits this strange object, partners up with an extremely enigmatic woman, and then the pair go on a wild adventure. If that sounds like your cup of very strong tea then please go and buy it. And now finally back to the show. I really have to practice these things don't I? Okay let's move on to some trivia. That hatch that I mentioned earlier it took me right back to the mysterious hatch in Lost the TV series. Do you remember that? That whole thing about the hatch. I'm sorry if you haven't watched Loss yet. I'm not really spoiling much. But there is this whole thing that goes on and on and on about the hatch. And I don't think it was very well planned in Lost. It's certainly more in tune with the story here. But yeah, that reminded me of the hatch in Lost. (laughs) As rubbish as the story making was. With that particular aspect of Lost, I did like the way they talked about the hatch and wove it into the plot. Ah, Lost. What else? Oh yeah, because of the Doctor's flamboyant clothes, Vorg mistakes him for a fellow showman. And then he attempts to prove his theory correct to Scherner by speaking a language called Polari, to the very confused Time Lord. The thing is, Polari is a real language from London, formerly used by entertainment and theatre folk, and later, gay men. It's a mixture of London slang, Romani, Yiddish, and other languages. What I think is interesting is that, given the age and long career in show business, and also the London roots of both the actor who plays Vorg, a guy called Leslie Dwyer, and, of course, John Pertwee, though I have absolutely no proof of this, this is just something that I've thought of, it seems conceivable to me that the pair of actors perhaps had a hand in adding this to the script. It also seems probable that both were fluent in the language. I don't really know that much more about Polari. In fact, I can't even remember where I heard about it first. I'm sure I've mentioned it in the podcast before. Anyway, let's move on to something ridiculous. (laughs) The actor's who are playing the intermenorans have this makeup and they have i'm trying to remember now is it blue or grey skin but they also all have bald caps and curly white hair pieces which isn't really unusual but what is funny, and I just couldn't help noticing throughout the four episodes, is that those bald caps and wigs kept coming loose. You could see them peeling away at the neck, sometimes at the forehead. I don't know what happened there. Maybe the makeup people used the wrong glue or something, but it was very noticeable. The actress who plays Schörner, the attractive assistant to Vogue's showman, is an actress called Cheryl Hall. She went on to play Wolfie Smith's pretty girlfriend, as well as marrying the guy who played Wolfie Smith, Robert Lindsay, in the sitcom Citizen Smith. Citizen Smith was a late 1970s sitcom that, Again, I'm sure I've mentioned before, but I do remember liking it so much that, years later, I even bought and wore a beret similar to Wolfie Smith's characteristic Che Guevara-esque beret. Ah, fashion mistakes I've made. So many. And finally... Remember at the top of this episode I said we'd come back to the writer Robert Holmes? Well, we're doing that now. I read that Robert Holmes was an ex-metropolitan police officer who, according to an unattributed section of his Wikipedia entry, became attracted to the writing profession by watching court reporters furiously scribbling away in their notebooks in shorthand. And that's what brought him to journalism and then screenwriting. So we have a little bit in common in that I too was a journalist, although I never found the need to learn shorthand. I think it's still a useful skill, but really only if you're... ...in court where you're not allowed to have recording devices. I don't know why they still have that rule to this day. It seems a little ridiculous. But there you are. And that is it for Doctor Who Carnival of Monsters 1973. As I said at the top of the show, I am lagging behind by about a day with podcasts. I was supposed to record another episode today... Or rather, the second episode of the week today, which would have been our weekly general show about geek topics. But now that will have to happen tomorrow. In a way, it's good, because it gives me time to add a few more things that I wanted to chat about to my show notes for tomorrow's show. I don't have anything more... Oh, there is one thing! Let's go back to Carnival of Monsters... For just a moment, I thought that the sea monsters, land monsters, dragon-type monsters with sort of caterpillar-like bodies, the drashigs, were pretty cool. They were obviously practical effects, but they did something with a scale to make something quite small appear quite large. And I think it was quite effective... They also reminded me a little of Chinese lions and dragons, the way they're sort of long and stretched out and a bit caterpillar-like. I felt quite sad when Vorg eradicated them. Yeah, imagine taming one of those things and riding it round like a pony. Well, okay, riding it round like a really vicious dinosaur from hell, but man, that would be cool. It would certainly be tooling around in a normal car, arriving at the pub on your drashig. Yeah. Okay, I'm just waffling now, so let me just tell you that this show is produced, presented, and edited by me, Roy Martha, a writer. Martha is spelt M-A-T-H-U-R. You can find more about me or get in touch at roymartha.com. For further reading, there's a link to the show notes in the description of this episode. If you want to help, please review and rate the show on whatever platform you listen and recommend it to a friend. You were listening to Crash the UK Geek Podcast. This was a Doctor Who specific episode, a vintage Doctor Who specific episode. Yes, we are Getting back into doing those. Record it on Wednesday, the 6th of November 2019, and the time at the end of the show is 23.10.10. Thanks for listening, and bye bye for now. Bye.